Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. We're going to start off with a prayer this morning, so if you would, bow your heads. Father God, as you're well aware, there are those of us that struggle with understanding the language of the Bible, whether Greek, Hebrew, or even our English translations. Lord, I ask that you draw everyone here and watching on social media to look at how they use and understand the words that you have given us in the scriptures that we're going to be reading and learning about so that we can gain a better understanding of whom you are in our lives, but also to better understand your word and your will for us. Amen. Morning again. Obviously, I'm not Nate, Barney, Sean, or Jacob. <laughs> My name is Mark, and uh, I welcome everyone here and on social media. So let's get started. I was given the assignment of teaching on Psalms 119, verses 97 through 104. So let's start off by reading the assignment. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies. And Paul is trying to laser me back there. <laughs> Get it? Okay, all right. Let's start over again. 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself had taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. And when the pastors and elders and our deacons-to-be were doing our devotionals, which is 9.30 Sunday mornings, or our sermon ser series that Nate and Barney was doing online on the book of Luke, this pandemic caused us to change course, change course a lot. But as you know, we've been dealing with pressing issues while working through Psalm 119. We were going to be doing devotionals on the Holy Spirit for the last four weeks, but yet here we are, and the Holy Spirit just is vitally important in every aspect of our lives when dealing with Scripture. So whether we got four weeks teaching on the Holy Spirit, you're still getting teachings on the Holy Spirit even today. The Holy Spirit's been instrumental with Nathan, Barney, Sean, and Jacob's teachings, and it's no different with me. The Holy Spirit has guided us and helped us to understand the topics that we've been covering for the last how many years? Nathan's teaching on the sum of God's word was very enlightening, to say the least. To be honest with you, I have gotten pretty lax and complacent in my English skills. 
reading it and speaking it. So when Nathan was teaching that the words, the law, commands, precepts, testimonies, they all all add up to God's word and his holiness. Just on the other side, double-minded, enemies, evildoers, persecutors, liars, arrogant people, prideful people, those are all opposite of God's word and holiness and is definitely not of God. With that said, and as Sean put it last week, in Pierce Point fashion, let's look at our first verse, verse 97. Oh, how I love your laws. We're going to stop right there because I think this is one of the first, one of the most important scripture, pieces of scripture that affected me more than anything. Oh, how I love your law. There are those of us, myself included, who have misunderstood, misinterpreted, and misused words a lot. Here's the worldview. I love your laws, but I just don't like them. Sometimes, sometimes all the time. I'll give you an example. I love my children. I just don't like what they're doing. I think every parent in here can relate to that. Here's another one. I love my wife. I just don't like her at times. Husbands, can you relate? Well, there's times I don't like my wife, and it's usually because she's correcting me, and I hate that. (laughs) So I started looking for the uh, biblical definition of the word like. (sighs) I started looking in Hebrew. And I found something very shocking. There is no Hebrew word for like. God does not have a like button. I found that very, very interesting. But it also caused me to look a lot deeper into the word like. Merriam-Webster's has this to say. Having the same characteristics or qualities as they are like brothers. It's used to draw attention to the nature of an action or an event, such as, I apologize for coming over unannounced like this. And and the same was that or as. And the example is people that change countries like they change clothes. Hmm. Okay, that one's kind of weird. As though, as if. I felt like I'd been kicked by a camel. This is actually how I felt when I learned of the Hebrew meaning of don't like or dislike. The Hebrew word is hate. So therefore, it changes everything. I love my children, but I hate what they're doing. And I had some children that did some things that I did not agree with, but I didn't stop loving them nonetheless. Same goes with my wife, even when she's correcting me. So for me to say that I love God's law, yet at times I hate them, makes absolutely no sense. But it makes every bit of sense. I only dislike or hate God's law when I'm sinning. God's law highlights my sin. If I do not love God's law... What is the opposite of love? Hate. 
For this, I have repented, and I'm striving to improve this part of my language skills. So let's get back to the first verse. Oh, I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Just understanding what God's laws, precepts, testimonies, commands is God's word to us. It changes how we look at Scripture and how it can convict us. Convict us of sinning. I meant to add that word, but I forgot. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone that breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Sinclair Ferguson wrote this about that very scripture. Our attitude to the law is a litmus test of our relationship to the kingdom of God. Likewise, our attitude to the word of God is a litmus test of our relationship to the kingdom of God. Kind of makes you think about what you're saying and what you're speaking. This means that following Jesus, obeying his commands, meditating on his word day and night, learning and understanding only comes from studying, praying, and meditating on God's word as much as you can. That is why we have small groups, Bible study plan, blogs, so that we can learn God's word, what it actually says, and what God's word actually means. And when you're in community with like believers, We learn daily application. This is for my wife and accountability. So back to David, and let's read it like Nathan had showed us in, in his message, The Sum of God's Word. Oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your word. I meditate on it all day long. So let's be like David. Let's meditate on it all day long. Charles Spurgeon had this to say about verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Oh, how I love thy law. This is a note of exclamation. He loves us so much that he must express his love, and he must express it to God in rapturous devotion. In making the attempt, he perceives that his emotion is inexpressible. Therefore, he cries. Oh, how I love. We not only reverence the law, but we love the law. We obey it out of love. And even when it reprimands us for disobedience, we love it nonetheless. The law is God's law, and therefore it is our love. We love it for its holiness. We long to be holy. We love it for its wisdom, and we study to be wise. We love it for its perfection and we yearn to be perfect. It is my meditation all the day. Meditating upon the Word of God is both the cause and the effect of his love for God's law. 
he meditated on God's Word because he loved it, and he loved it more because he meditated on it. He so passionately loved it that he couldn't get enough of it all day long, was not long enough for him to read and meditate upon it. His morning prayer, his noonday thought, and his evening song were all out of Holy Scripture. I think that's pretty powerful that we should be thinking about God's Word all day long. Verse 98. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. Personal notation right here. When I first read that, I was like, yep, my enemies are with me every day too. Ah. So let's dive a little deeper here. Enemies are in the same group as the double-minded persecutors and the like. These are ungodly people. And we know that David had his enemies, right? First one was Goliath, the Philistine. And then his family. I read that, I was like, wow, sounds like my family. But yeah, even his family was out to kill him. But so was the people that he ruled over and the countries that he ruled over. So he had a lot of enemies. In the New Testament, we are commanded to go and make, us, go and make disciples. And as were the disciples, they too had their enemies. In John 15, verses 18 through 20, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they obeyed my teaching, they will also obey yours also. So make no mistake, we're in a spiritual war and Satan rules the air. And in Christ, we're given the authority, the protection of our Father through Christ Jesus. David was anointed by God and protected by God so that David could rule as God intended him to. And as adopted sons and daughters of the Most High, we're afforded the same privileges. Our commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. Keep God's commands forever with you in your heart, for your enemies are forever among us, just as David kept God's commands with him always. Pretty simple. We know that our enemies are with us every day. Let us keep God's word in our heart with us every day. Verse 99. I have more insight than all my teachers for I meditate on your statutes. <clears throat> Quick personal note. In some books, they are not called elders uh, or teachers. They are called ancients. So if you hear me say ancients, I'm referring to elders. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, and I read this a little earlier, the student is not above the teacher nor the slave above the master. We're going to revisit that in a minute. 
In the book of Acts, we find that the apostle Paul surpassed Ananias. We also see that Apollos surpassed Aquila and Priscilla. Apollos appeared to them preaching the gospel about Christ, and Aquila and Priscilla fine-tuned it for him, as did Ananias when Paul was staying with him. He had the vision, he stayed with Ananias, and Ananias kind of fine-tuned it. So, how can the student surpass the teacher? In that case, yes, you can surpass the teacher. But revisiting what Christ said about the student is not above the teacher nor the slave above the master. This was the Holy Spirit speaking to me this morning out in the parking lot before I even got started. The bottom line is, when you learn the Word of God, you gain that knowledge, you gain that wisdom. And yes, the students do surpass the teacher, but in the case of Christ, we will never surpass Him. They persecuted Him, they will persecute us. We are not going to escape it, and that's a fact. So, in knowledge and stuff, yes, I have surpassed some of my mentors, but I will never surpass Christ in the persecution, and that's what that verse meant. So David was a young man, and any young men with any sense about him, they would get an elder, or as some would say, the ancients. The ancients would have the knowledge and understanding, as well as the life experiences that David could turn to as he would find need. But in David's case, God had given him more than what the ancients or the elders could provide. What David needed was supplied by God when David meditated on God's Word. Okay, so when we're given that information that he needed, what does he do with it? He obeys. And as believers, it's not enough to get into God's Word, meditate on it, and gain understanding. If you don't obey what God has to say to you, or to me, or to David, what's going to happen? We need to obey. If you didn't obey God's Word, we wouldn't be standing here studying Psalm 119, now would we? Hmm. Again, David isn't boasting or beating his chest because he has more understanding than the ancients. He has given all the glory to God by his obedience. Jesus had something to say to us concerning our obedience. In John 14, verses 23 and 24, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And that's something that a lot of people do, and myself included from time to time is that we pick and choose what we're going to obey. Sometimes obedience doesn't feel good. But in the end, it's the right thing to do. Verse 101, I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. One commentary on verse 101 says this, our relish for the Word of God will be greatest 
when that for the world and the flesh is least. The way of sin is the wrong way, and the more understanding we get by the precepts of God, the more rooted will, will we be our, of our hatred of sin, and the more ready we are in the Scriptures, the better furnished we are with answers to temptation. David knew that he was what he was. David knew that he was staying in and obeying God's word, that his feet would never touch an evil path. Matthew seven verses thirteen and fourteen. Enter through the narrow gate, for the for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. If you're standing on God's word and obedient to it, God's word will keep you from any evil path and give you all that you need to resist temptation. Here too, we see David giving God all of the glory for keeping his feet on a path of righteousness, and that's through his word. Fingers are dry. This is also true when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit God... The Spirit of God will give you an out from temptation and the power to stay on that narrow path. And that has happened many, many times in my life that I've had that temptation staring me in the face. And it's only because of God's word and my obedience to it that I can say, I don't think so. Not today. And it's gotten me out of a lot of things. Verse 102. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. First Sam, we're going to get into some scripture here. First Samuel 16, verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So David had the Holy Spirit from the beginning. I thought that was kind of cool. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And this is a verse that the elders and the deacons memorize. In Isaiah, it says this, the grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. And in Psalm, Psalm 18, it says this, As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. And in Deuteronomy, I think this is a very good one. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, He humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. David knew that the word of God is what has sustained him throughout his time. He was a Jew and was taught in the synagogues as most Jewish boys were of the time. And as David has stated time and again, David meditates on God's word all day long. Psalm 112, 
verse 6 and 7 says, Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will, never, they will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast and trusting in the Lord. If David hadn't practiced this, we wouldn't be remembering him today, now would we? So are you reading and studying and meditating and praying about what you read in your Bible? And as believers, we are given the assistance of the Holy Spirit to guide us along the way, just as David had when Samuel anointed him as a small child. God will also put people in your life to mentor you, to guide you through your spiritual walk. If you have never been mentored, I highly recommend that you find one. I've had three in my life so far, just three in the last 16 years. And it was the best thing that I have ever done was to be mentored by somebody, not only in the Word of God, in my spiritual walk in it, but in everyday life and how that applies. My mentors also held me accountable too. Now, if you think that I prepared any of this without shooting it through my mentors, past and present, you're sadly mistaken because they got a copy of it. And yes, one of them was really, really picky. He even, you know, apostrophes. I mean, the punctuation, whatever. <laughs> Let's go to verse 103. And this is one that, that I learned, and, th and this is something that I'm going to also tell you. If you think that Nathan, Barney, Jacob, or Sean doesn't learn something new every time that they open a Bible, you would be wrong because we all learn something new all of the time, and it's fantastic. But this is one that I learned doing this. How sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. <sighs> really? I just, I couldn't grasp the concept. I really couldn't. But there was a commentary that I read that kind of helped put it all into place. It says, the soul has its taste as well as the body. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I'm going to turn on Barney right now. Let me give you an example. <laughs> One of the greatest things that we have to endure as people and as believers is fear, right? So, how many times in the Bible is fear mentioned? Anybody know? No? 365 times. That's enough for one a day. Where's Jacob? There's Jacob. Jacob, yeah. He was the one that asked me, oh, what if it's a leap year? <laughs> so pick another one and insert it in leap year. I love Jacob. He's cool. <laughs> so yes, for me, God's word is sweet, is a sweet taste in my soul. And that is what David was alluding to. And to speak these words to somebody else, God's word is even sweeter. When I read the scripture that says, fear not, I am comforted and I'm given the courage to endure whatever is coming my way. 
Let me give you another example, biblical example. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. How sweet that must have sounded to Thomas, and how sweet that sounds to us as believers. When the truth is spoken out of love for someone, it stings. But in the end, how sweet is it to see that transformation in someone? Last example, I promise you. I had a friend come to me. He had been fired from a really, really good job. And it was a job he absolutely loved. When he was done explaining all of the issues and what had happened and what was said and what was done, I asked him one question. And you know what that question was? What was your part in it? He honestly wanted to punch me in the face. Literally. He wanted to punch me in the face. But after he thought about it, the transformation that that man had from that experience was phenomenal. And I know that he has thought about that a lot. What is my part in that? So when you're faced with conflict, ask yourself, what's my part in that? You would be amazed at how it would transform you. Not only scripture can be sweet to the soul, but speaking into someone's life can be just as sweet. Verse 104, I gain understanding in your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Psalm 5, 5 says, the arrogant cannot stand in your presence, you hate all who do wrong. Psalm 101 verse 3 says, I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part in it. And Proverbs 8.13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. 2 Chronicles 7.11-16, when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace, and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do with the temple of the Lord in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will hear, heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My, art, my eyes and my heart will always be there. I think this scripture from Second Chronicles speaks a lot about today. Pride and the thirst for control is not of God. 
David understood God's precepts and knew that the fear of the Lord was the beginning of knowledge. He humbled himself and submitted to obedience to God and his word. So where are you today? As a believer, are you following all of God's word? Are you trusting in his power and control? Or are you in control? All of our devotionals and teachings, it all boils down to choice. Do you choose to follow Jesus and the Word of God, or are you picking and choosing what feels good and leaving the rest? Or is this your pride standing in the way? Yes, David did stumble. We saw that in the recounting of Bathsheba and the killing of her husband. And there were other examples as well. But we also saw the correction from Nathan and the repentance from King David. And I think that's a great example for each one of us to follow when we're being corrected, is to practice that humility, pray about what we did, said, or behaved in a wrong manner, and repent of it. David was called a, God after, a, a man after God's own heart. Where's your walk with God? Are you boasting as we usually do? Or are you like David and giving all the glory to God for what he has done to your heart and in your life? And it boils down to that. It boils down to choice. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.